Also, any children between kindergarten through fifth grade are dismissed at this point. If you've missed your cue, you may certainly go and uh, enter the program downstairs. Uh, again, some themes. Welcome to any guests who are here for the first time. We're so glad that you came, and you'll find something in front of you, uh, in the pew in front of you, that you can fill out that would allow us to get you some more information about our church and help us uh, find a place for you to connect. We have a few things to celebrate as well this morning, including this white rose that is over here. On the Ebenezer table, one of our elementary children committed her life to Christ in Sunday school in this past month, and we are celebrating her decision with that white rose today, and we praise the Lord for a new member of his family. So we welcome her into uh, the Lord, uh, and uh, thank you very much. Today is also First Food Sunday. What we do in this church on the first Sunday of each month is... Uh, bring food to stock our food pantry, which helps feed people in this community. And the cupboard, the cupboard is truly bare. Um, that's uh, maybe as much because of the need as it is uh, the contributions of the, of the church. People need this more than ever. So I just encourage you, uh, when you leave today, to uh, get a little green slip of paper. They're bright green. They're out there in the lobby. And you just go to a store, and you shop those things, and you bring them here. You can do it any time. We have receptacles uh, that are available uh, near our doors, and you put them in there, and this helps us feed our community. And uh, there truly is a need, and we thank you for participating in that. I also want you to know that there is a uh, college student small gather that's happening. This is for college young adults who are home for the summer. begins this Tuesday evening, June 5th at 7.30 at the McGinnis Home, which is just across the parking lot. And uh, so any of you college students that are back here for the summer would like to be a part of that. starts at 7.30 and goes till who knows when. So... Uh, uh, welcome to that, and I love teasing Sean about that because he always comes in on Wednesday mornings a little bleary-eyed, which is great. Uh, also, please be checking your bulletin. There's lots of more information I can't speak to uh, because of time. Heart to Heart has their summer gatherings in there, other information that's important. I do want you to know about some things that are coming up at the end of the month, just a few weeks away, on the 24th of uh, June, 9.15 in the morning. If you would like to know what uh, baptism is about and you'd like to uh, find out what that is and whether that's something uh, that you'd like to consider, uh, you're invited at 9.15 to come uh, in room 205 and hear about that. You're not obligated to be baptized, but maybe you've got some questions about what it is uh, or maybe the Lord's prompting you. I would encourage you to be a part of that. And at the end of the summer, on the 26th of June, I mean the 26th of August, when we're going to have a uh, end of the summer, big bash down at uh, Lake Silver Springs. We're going to be having a baptism there. So if you're uh, interested in that, you need to come in a few weeks. And also, that same day, the 24th of June, very important Sunday for us. It's our annual congregational business meeting. That doesn't sound exciting until you hear the kinds of things that we're going to be doing at this meeting. We will be electing new elders. We will be passing a budget or voting on a budget that needs to be passed for 2012 and 13. We'll be voting on considering a change in our statement of faith that we have been speaking about for months. And there are annual reports that will be uh, coming out shortly that you'll be reading that are speaking of some very large changes and significant steps forward in our church. And so it just becomes an extremely important meeting. You don't have to be a member to participate. We just encourage you to come and you get uh, lunch right after the service and we'll move through that and be done uh, by the middle of the afternoon. I'd like to pray, and just as before we go into prayer for our time in the Word this morning, I'd like to mention that uh, 
Don and Tammy Vogel uh, just had a little boy, Benjamin Xavier Vogel, born on the 1st of June, and uh, they're grateful for that as they welcome a new member into their family, 7 pounds, 11 ounces, 20 inches long, good-sized young man. Uh, there are some uh, complications, or there may be, uh, and so they're, uh, they're watching those very carefully, so I'd like to lift uh, that family to the Lord as well. So let's look to him in prayer at this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence with us. Uh, truly, uh, you are enough. And as we explore uh, more of what that means, celebrating the sufficiency of what you've done for us in Christ Jesus, uh, I pray that our hearts and minds would be that much more convinced of that fact, uh, leading to gratitude and thanksgiving and lives that are truly changed because uh, you truly are enough. What you did in Christ Jesus for us was absolutely sufficient. And this gives us such confidence as we uh, move forward, as we consider uh, the circumstances right before us in our lives and the plans for the future. And uh, we trust you for those uh, because we can, because you have proven yourself faithful. So likewise, we lift the Vogel family to you and uh, the, uh, we, we give you praise and honor for bringing uh, been into this world, but Lord, we uh, are concerned for the situation and ask for your intervention, for uh, doctors and medical professionals to have great wisdom in caring for him, and that we will soon hear of his uh, uh, good health and continued growth. Uh, would you comfort that family and help them in this time? And now as we open the word, I pray that you will give us insight that you would be glorified, that we would see you above all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we gather, we serve, and we learn around here. Those are some very simple values that we build our ministry on. That has led to three years that look like this. A first year of saying it's better to gather and building that understanding of what that is. A second year of It's Greater to Serve, which we're coming to the close of now. And then It's Wiser to Learn, which we will be moving into this summer and then into our new uh, academic year in the fall. As we've considered what it is to, be, uh, to follow this It's Greater to Serve, we've used Micah 6.8 as a guide for that that says, He has shown you, O man... What is good? And what does the Lord require of you? Very simply, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And that has given us a path as we took the fall considering what it was to act justly, the winter to consider what it meant to love mercy, and now in the spring to consider what it is to walk humbly. To walk humbly. Studying Jesus' followers, we have learned that this is communal. It is something you don't do alone, you do together. It is uncomfortable, and it is challenging. And Jesus led the way in that by showing us there is nothing he asks of us that he hasn't already done himself. But he does mean to stretch us. And then it is also measurable. Uh, walking humbly is measurable. It's measurable personally. And last time, a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at this, I reminded you of our dream wall over there, that coming out of our fast, we were looking to 
learn what God would have us do and beyond. Not just what uh, he would have us learn about ourselves in that time of deeper consecration, but how we would respond to that personally, measurably. And we looked in Philippians chapter 2 and saw how very, very real that is. The report card that we are going to offer the Lord when we get there is measurably personal. The light that we're supposed to be is measurably different. And the contents of that pitcher of water are measurably gone, and that's what we are supposed to be. So how is it going, we have to ask ourselves. Where do we need to improve? Where do we need to stand out? Are we being used up? Or do we have something more to pour? That's personal. But I also want us to see that walking with our God is measurably collective as well. I would like you to turn to Romans chapter 15. And I want to show you something remarkable in this particular passage. Romans chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there's one right in front of you in the pew. And in the bulletin, it'll show the page number where you can look up this specific passage. Romans chapter 15. And I want to show you this remarkable thing and then seek to apply it to our lives specifically. Romans is the single greatest theological treatise in all of Scripture. It is all in one place God's message to man from A to Z. There's no other place you can go in the Bible and read comprehensively what God wants to say about himself to you today and your future than you would find in the letter to the Romans. It is as complete in one place as you will find anywhere in the Bible. And let me just sum that up for you because I can't possibly talk about Romans without doing that. The first three chapters talk about a slavery that we are all in because of our sin. One, two, and three, your sin Some of you have heard me do this before. You get to hear me do it again. One through three is all about your sin because we are lost in ourselves. He takes chapter four and five and he talks about salvation and how that sin is broken by God himself. See, we can't do it. We're lost. We're we're handcuffed. We are shackled by our own breaking of his holy, pure standard. And there's nothing we can do about it until he comes, intervenes, and he breaks it. And all of a sudden, life enters into that death, light into darkness, and salvation is discovered and can be experienced, and a life changes and becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. And then there becomes this process, chapter 6 through 8, the big word called sanctification. It's simply the process of taking you from here over to here, the setting apart of you from what you used to be to what God wants you to be. And you work through those chapters, and Paul gets incredibly honest about how God is working in him to make him what God wants him to be. He's very honest. It's not easy. It is a growing process, and it's meant to be so. It's why Jesus hasn't come back yet, because he's not done with us yet. And so we're lost in our sin, and then we find salvation, and then we begin this process of growing in him so that we can then begin to see him like we've never seen him before, and that is all about his sovereignty. And some of the most difficult chapters in the Bible to understand are Romans chapter 9 through 11. Don't come and ask me questions about them, because I'm still trying to figure them out. There's tons of stuff in there that is incredibly Hard to understand because it's about God in all of his sovereignty. 
but he lets us see some things about him that are amazing. And because all of those things are true, because we are lost in our sin, and then we find salvation, and we can begin in this process of him changing us to be who we are, he wants us to be, and lifting our eyes to see him for who he is, he then, chapters 12 through 14, begins to talk about service. What you then do with these hands that have been freed and now restored and can be used for his purpose, and it's all about service. Now get about doing what you're supposed to be doing. Chapters 12 through 14, fascinating. If you are wise and have opened your Bibles, you'll find that we're, there are chapters 15 and 16, correct? Hmm, what about those? We lose sight with all of the theological implications and the beauty of this one place where God's message is so clearly and comprehensively laid out from A to Z. We lose sight of the fact that this is a letter. This is not a theological treatise. This is not an ordination paper so that Paul could become Reverend Paul. It's a letter to people, not defending his faith as much as he was explaining what God meant to do then and there through these people in the days to come. Chapter 16 is a remarkable chapter filled with lots of people's names that he wants to address and say specific things to. What's very fascinating about that is that Paul has never been to Rome, Romans, Rome. They were people who lived in Rome. He's writing a letter to people who live in Rome. He's never been there, yet he names them. Some of them he may have met at different times. Probably many he only heard about. Remarkable. That's another message. Chapter 15 says something amazing about Paul and his purpose, and I want to apply that to us this morning. Let me read from chapter, chapter 15, verse 14 through 24. Paul says now, after all of these things that he says, I am myself convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct, instruct one another. Pretty good church. I have written to you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace of God, the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God and I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered in coming to you. But now, that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, what are these remarkable things that Paul says in this passage? 
First of all, I want you to notice something that he said about Jerusalem and Illyricum. And you see a map up above you. Most of you would know on a map of Asia Minor where Jerusalem is, and that's over here. Illyricum, I've had put on the map, that's way over here. It's modern-day Bosnia. Paul is saying, I have preached the gospel from here all the way around to here. We had this map up a couple of weeks ago. This happens to be his second missionary journey as he was going around, and he ends up going back again. These are the digs where he's been moving around from here to here. I have fully proclaimed the gospel. Really? That's a lot of land. That's a lot of places. That's a lot of cities. The book of Acts that records his traveling never tells us that he got there. Remember, he only got over here. Fully proclaimed. Hmm. He says in verse 23, no more place for me to work. What does that mean? You've got to be kidding. There must have been lots of things that he could do for people in this area. And then, verse 24. Do you see what this is? This is the biggest biblical missionary sucker punch that's ever been given. You've just explained all of the reality of this sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and service. You've fully explained like nowhere else in Scripture the power of God's message that you need to understand from A to Z. And by the way, I'm going to show up at your house. You're going to feed me. You're going to clothe me. You're going to take care of me. You're going to give me money. You're probably going to give me some people because I never travel by myself, and you're sending me to Spain. It's exactly what that is. That's one of these um, short-term mission trips letters that you get from people that show up in your mailbox. How God has called me for two weeks to go and help people here or there or for a lifetime and I need you to contribute month after month to help me. You ever gotten letters like that? Oh no, another one. Ah, Just because I happen to be that person's friend now I got... Unbelievable. This is the most well-written missionary prayer letter there ever was. Who's going to say no to a guy like this? How could Paul say these things? I mean, why would he even go to Spain? Wasn't there a ton more to do? Wasn't Corinth still struggling? This city here, oh, what a mess. They got two letters in the New Testament because they were in so much trouble. There is a direct correlation, by the way, the length and the number of letters and how difficult a church was. Berea, the best church of the New Testament, didn't get one. Corinth got two. You can't tell me there weren't things that needed to be done there still. No church was started in Athens. He went and preached on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. Remember the great famous prayer, I mean the message to the... To the, uh, to the, uh, to the, the idol of the unknown God, some of you know what that is. Never a church. A few people converted. Man, why didn't he go back there and get that going? Athens needs a church. Was Titus really done in Crete? This is an island down here. He sent Titus to, told him to set up churches and elders in every one of those churches. One guy. Do you think it was done? Maybe he needed help. Could Timothy really handle Ephesus? 
Man, there was a ton of stuff going on in Ephesus in this city here. Paul spent his most time of any church right there. Started a Bible institute. People were coming in and out of this area and studying there. This young guy, young guy, who had to say, don't worry about your age. You just do what you're supposed to do. Could he really handle all that was going to happen in Ephesus? Where were Barnabas and Mark anyway? What happened to those guys? Just dropped off the map. Speaking of maps. And was Apollos really corrected in his theology? Now, for some of you, you understand what I'm talking about, these different things, and you say, yeah, well, you know, I wonder about that. Some of you, you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about with all these different names. Okay, just think this way. It's been your God-ordained job to go and do this. You know, the whole sin, the salvation, this is sanctification, the sovereignty. You're supposed to share that message with people from Maine, north of the Mason-Dixon line, all the way to the Mississippi, and you're doing it for maybe 10 years. Maybe. It's probably less. Do you think you're done yet? Do you think your next destination is Minneapolis because they got to send you to North Dakota? Let North Dakota take care of itself. I've got everything from the Mississippi to Maine north of the Mason-Dixon line. Are you kidding? I could spend a lifetime doing this and I couldn't get it done. What on earth is he saying when he says, I got to go there? Now, just before we lock this guy up in a rubber room, let's consider his single purpose. Look at verses 20 and 21 of Romans chapter 15. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see. Those who have not heard will understand. Any trick, Star Trek Trekkies here? Oh, I got a brave hand. Set my notes up. Got another one? I see that hand. I see that hand. Uh, um, my notes get sent out to some people who like to see them in advance, and, uh, and, and, and I wrote in here in my notes, uh, Star Trek before Star Trek was cool, and I got a response from somebody back said, sent back that said, when was Star Trek ever not cool? Okay. <laughs> so when you're about to watch Star Trek, and uh, it's right at the beginning of the show, nothing else has ever happened, there's this, this tone and this chord, and then these words come through. What are those words? To boldly go where no man's ever gone before. You think that's new? They stole it from Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Nevertheless, he has one single solitary goal. People who have never heard before need to hear. To boldly go where no man has ever gone before. He is uncompromising, focused, well-defined, and singular in his purpose and his mission. Look again at verse 16, lest you doubt me. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. One single purpose, to go where no one has gone before. 
This we must be as well as a church. This is what will determine our measurable success collectively. Listen carefully to me, and I'll stick close to these words because I wrote them very specifically. The measure to which we determine and define this with this kind of clarity, focus, purpose, and direction, and the measure to which how we define how we will do this together as a family, personally before God, and strategically how we are going to get there from A to Z is directly proportional to how measurably successful we will be at walking humbly, acting justly, and loving mercy here today in the 21st century in the middle of Morris County, New Jersey. Paul's mission, focus, and goal, as clear and as specific as it was, is not ours specifically. We share some parts in it, but we must discover what we are supposed to do. What is it measurably that we exist for and are to accomplish and will perpetuate our ministry for years to come? That's a good question, and it demands an answer. Well, what if? What if we take these defining ideas of clarity and purpose and focus, and we express them in a simple image that is clear and that is memorable? What if we were to do that? This is what your leadership has been doing at great length for a lot of time, doing a lot of work and a lot of prayer. And believe me, iteration after iteration. And all the leadership will say, ad nauseum, to define, simplify, and clarify until... It is so usable, understandable, memorable, and repeatable that all of you can understand it without any great difficulty. Well-defined, singular purpose and mission. Extremely important to do. Why? Here's the deal. Life is simple. Life is simple. I didn't say it was easy. I said it was simple. I am convinced that the most important things to, to grasp and to understand that have the most influence on your life and that you must respond to because there is some measure of control that you have over these things. The most important things to grasp and understand are simple. They're not easy, but they're simple. However, 
Life's natural entropy, the natural thing that just happens if you don't focus, is to render things complicated and confusing. You can bank on that. There are things in this world that are extremely complicated, like um, certain kinds of philosophy or quantum physics or nuclear chemistry, and those things are extremely complicated, but they're outside of your control. So for all of the great professors that we have here who teach those things, God bless you, that's great. I hope you can help somebody understand those things better than anybody was able to help me. But they're outside of our control. The things of greatest importance that have anything to do with you responding to them, understanding them, and applying them are incredibly simple. They're just not easy sometimes. Instead, we have this natural process of rendering things because we don't bring clarity, confusing and complicated, and life becomes a mess because we haven't applied what is simply understood. And that confusion creates all kinds of problems for us. And that's why it takes so much work for us to actually return to what is absolutely clear and simple. And so, that's why your leadership has been doing this for so, actually, about two years. Let me keep telling you we're working on these things, and I'm going to begin to unfold that kind of clarity so that we can clearly respond to what God wants us to do. Now, think about how challenging that is. And I struggle for some illustrations on this, but let me just say that your family decides that they're going to have some kind of a, a special event, okay, because somebody's birthday needs to be celebrated or anniversary or whatever. And you've got different people that live in different places in the country, and uh, everybody needs to be a part of this. How many want to sign up to organize that? Where is it going to be? When's it going to be? Who's going to do it? What are the responsibilities? Everybody thinks it's a great idea, but nobody wants to this, and nobody wants to that. And how about, oh, no, no, it can't be there. It's got to be here. No, no. Do you guys have difficulty deciding where you're going on vacation? Do you decide, do you have difficulty? Just think about the complexity of taking 12 men and five staff and actually trying to get these guys to line up in one way or another in clarity and purpose and vision for what God wants us to do. It's like herding jello. Now, what we have is a great benefit on our part, and that is the Bible clearly tells us what is simple and needs to be done, and that has been our work. You should thank your staff, your elders, for the past two years of study, talk, prayer, and countless hours of work. It's a simple idea, and I think it'll be clear to you it's not absolutely brand new. We've learned from other people that have got uh, uh, more, much, many more brains than we do and so on and so forth. But uh, this is uh, from T.J. Addington. It's called Leading from the Sandbox. He's helped us. Actually, I, I've learned over this couple, couple of years. He was a part of helping uh, Bethlehem some years ago when you were going through some other changes here. These things are tried and tested, but we have also made it our own. And it's what you see on the screen right now. If you define a playing field, or what we're calling a sandbox, there is great freedom to excel within that. Without it, 
Nobody knows the rules, the limits, the parameters, the direction, the purpose. We're lost. We feel useless. We feel disconnected. We don't know why we're here. We don't know what we're doing, and we don't know where we're going. Instead, if you do define some parameters, a reason to exist, a mission, a goal, that across the top. Why do we exist? And then you define how we will behave as a family together, working together, and also personally what we will aspire to as people who are being changed in that process to become all he wants us to be. Character and behavior. And then you will define some steps about how you will get to that mission. So the mission, this reason we exist is across the top. This character and behavior issues collectively and personally are on the left and the right. Don't worry, I'm going to come back and explain all this stuff to you some more. But it's simple. And then, once we've understood the top and the sides, we simply lay out a plan for how we're going to get from here to there. And we will find ourselves creating a reality represented by our final principle of what it is to walk humbly, and that is that it is perpetual. Perpetuating what God has called us to do through this church for many years to come. Now let me give you another illustration of this and why this is so, so true and, and illustrated every four years. Every four years, there is a world phenomenon that captures the attention and the understanding of a good part of this world's population. It's called the World Cup. Now, why do I choose the World Cup and don't choose football, American football? Because nobody knows all the rules in American football, and they keep writing new ones every year. The beauty of what is so captivating about this game of soccer is that it is so simple. Four lines, two goals, one ball, two equally established counterparts following a set of simple rules. Take that ball, get it in that goal. Millions of people love this sport because of its simplicity. Actually, they're going to tell you that billions of people watch. I actually did some research this year, uh, and, I mean just this week, and it's really not actually true. Only. It's not billions. They'll tell you that. They, they tell you that uh, 1.3 billion, 1.1 billion uh, uh, people watched the World Cup last year. It's not actually true. 260 million people watched the World Cup last year. Uh, however, compare that to only 98 million that watched the Super Bowl. That's significantly different. And it represents 90% of the world's television households. 90% of the people in this world that have a television in their home watch one real simple game with passion. Right? Because it's just that simple. Nobody said it was easy. It's just simple. The key is the simplicity of it all. You may or may not like it, but even somebody who doesn't like sports can understand that game. Football, I can't figure out why they keep playing and then stopping and playing and then stopping and then playing and then stopping, right? For all you women who are going, what? But anybody can walk in a room and go, see the ball? They're supposed to put it in there. Oh, okay. Did they do it yet? Not yet, but we're watching. That's why you don't like it, because they don't do it a whole lot. 
same rules, real simple. Now, in these next weeks, I would like to unfold a little bit of the simplicity that we have worked so hard to clarify. I just want to give you a taste of it this morning. As we walk up to this table, as we approach this table and celebrate this, there's just one glimpse I want to give you that is all about this. So, gentlemen, you can prepare yourselves as uh, we're about to take this, but as they prepare themselves, let me give you this one glimpse of the top of the sandbox. This is the goal. And if you hit this, you win. This is about God's message. Did you notice in verse 16 that he said he was called of God to be a, an, an apostle to the Gentiles to communicate to them the gospel of God. It's a possessive nominative. It's the very same phrase that he uses. I'll bet the ESL students know what a possessive nominative is, and you guys don't. It is the simple understanding of what Paul says he is called to do. An apostle, according to the gospel of God, that one thing God wants you to know and understand. His message. This, my friends, is about his message. We are here to celebrate his, act, his ultimate act of love. He had to take the first step towards making right what we got wrong. And he wants you to accept that and become a part of his initiative to spread that one piece of good news to every person. And in this, we find hope and purpose and meaning in all that is and all that is to come because it is God's gospel, God's message. The one thing he wants all people to understand in all of its simplicity. Not its ease. Oh, no. It wasn't easy for him to accomplish this. We break bread because it symbolizes a body that was totally given for you. That wasn't easy. And we take the Jews to remind us of blood that was shed. That wasn't easy. But anyone can understand. And they must understand that God in all of his greatness took, took this complex and confusing world that we've created because we lost sight of him and rendered everything incredibly simple. I take your place. I die in your place. And I rise from the dead, something you cannot do, so that I can offer you life when all you're headed for is an inevitable death. That's simple. It wasn't easy. 
but it's true. And that's what we want to celebrate today. And I just want you to leave this morning with that little picture. And I'll come back in the weeks and begin to unwrap some more. But let's prepare our hearts now as the gentlemen come and think about this one thing. That of all of the confusion, all of the chaos that we created because we lost sight of God, he decided to make things very, very simple. I'll take your place. You can't do it. You can die for yourself, but you can't rise from the dead, so what good is that? You're just going to die and never be anyway. Instead, how about I take your place? Would you like me to do that? You see, what's necessary is that we respond, yes, I believe you took my place. And I trust that that's enough. We sang about it, and that's why we sing about it, because he is enough. What he did was absolutely sufficient. And all he asks is that we believe that that's true. And then let him break those chains. And then we follow him faithfully. If you've never done that, it's a simple, simple act of faith. It may not be easy for you to do that because you have to admit that you're a sinner. If that's more than you can do today, then I ask you to pray about that. I'd love to talk to you about it. But if you can get over the pain of the humility of saying, and the, the humiliation of saying, I will humble myself and say, I need you. I, I need your forgiveness. And I believe that that was enough. see if that continues or is a false alarm. It's a false alarm? Okay. So I've given you some nice music to reflect by. Do reflect for a few minutes, if you would, and I'm sure in a few minutes that they'll be able to shut that alarm off. Don't let that distract you. I really meant that. Would you look to him and prepare your hearts as you can for what we're about to celebrate? And Dave, would you join me now?
Again, it's simple, and it's an act that is a personal act that you must exercise before the Lord. And so that's why when we distribute the bread here, uh, we take it personally. So as it's distributed, when you're ready, you take it. And if you can say that you've done that and you've trusted him completely, well, then this is a great thing for you to celebrate. And so we encourage you to do that. And then later we'll take the cup together because out of that we're going to celebrate what he's done for us as a whole. Gentlemen, would you come and join me now? Rick, would you thank the Lord for his body given for us? many, many, many things that you're doing today. Lord, I thank you for the ESL reflection and celebration today. Thank you for the other things, the food pantry and the things that uh, Bethlehem is doing. Lord, I look around the world and I see you moving and working, providing for needs in countless ways, including children, food and education, water, uh, and most of all, your gospel uh, progressing throughout the world, uh, particularly in China and Africa. Lord, we're not done, as Paul could say he was, but it's part of the same thing that Paul was talking about, and all of this goes back to what we're celebrating here, your sacrifice for us that makes all of these things possible. Lord, I want to thank you personally for your love for me, calling me to yourself, uh, <clears throat> and for all those that you've brought to yourself. Uh, <clears throat> thank you for your tremendous, infinite sacrifice uh, to make the saving of this lost world uh, possible. Lord, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. By being distracted, I failed to mention that uh, from now on, uh, what we distribute is gluten-free. So for those of you who have not been able to participate before, you can without any concern. So we're glad to be able to offer that.
sins personally because the Lord had to act personally to, to decide to come individually and take your place personally. But he did it for the entire world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so we come to his shed blood and celebrate what he did for all of us as we collectively now call ourselves Christ followers. Gentlemen, will you come? Steve, will you thank the Lord for his shed blood that made us a body in him? It was our sin, but it was my sin that separated us from you. But even more than that, it's a reminder that you would stop at nothing to restore that relationship that our sin had broken. Even if it meant that you would give up your life for us, that you would take the punishment that we deserved upon yourself. And Lord, we thank you for this grace that gives us abundant life in the here and now and the next life for all eternity in heaven with you. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.
Jesus said, never forget. In fact, his word said, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we celebrate. The simplicity and the power of the message of Jesus Christ and his blood shed for us. Do this in remembrance of him. We give you honor and glory. Heavenly Father, for your good message in Christ Jesus. Thank you. May we continue to deepen our understanding of what you have done that we might know more of what we must do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I would like to do one more collective thing this morning uh, before we close. I'd like to invite Marjorie Winchell and Rachel Bradley to join me up here. Marjorie and Rachel, I would like to welcome into membership of our church. Isn't it coincidental that Marjorie has the last name, I do. That's great. Oh, wait, I recognize her. So my mom and Rachel have gone through the process of uh, requesting and applying and being accepted into this body officially, and we would like to welcome them. You guys don't have to go any farther. I'll come over here. And uh, that'd be great. No, you can here, let me jump in the middle of you here. There we go. I want to thank the Lord for... Um, yeah, just, you know, just, you know, it uh, gets me choked up. It's a good day. Have you here and have both of you as a part of our body. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your giving of your body for us. And we thank you for what that has meant in us becoming a body of believers in you. And we thank you for these who have now joined us in this. We pray your blessing on them. And thank you for what you are going to still do through them as they serve here. And what you're going to do through us in the days to come. For your honor and your glory, we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 God bless you. Thanks for being here today.